Thank you, Mark. Thank you, choir. That was beautiful. Let's pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, how rejoicing we are today for the beautiful things we have witnessed here. We now ask for you, Holy Spirit, to be here within our hearts. In your name, amen. The conclusion of his work was nearing. The people were amazed at his teachings and he gained great popularity. He had visited many of the cities and villages and he had many followers going along with him. Many observed his acts and listened to his words and as a result, they had changed their hearts. There was an intentionality and determination in everything that Jesus was doing. He was preparing for upcoming events, very important event, significant and necessary events, his death and his resurrection. He had predicted it for the very last time. In fact, this was the week, the week that Jesus would be crucified. Many came to him from far and wide to confirm what they had been hearing, what they had been learning, what he had been teaching. And these crowds were huge, large, and they were there witnessing these things. And among them were the religious leaders. The word of the Lord says in Matthew chapter 21 that Jesus had, was entering into Jerusalem. And this is where we encounter this text that was just read. Jesus cleanses the temple. He comes into Jerusalem. He pays a visit into the temple. The people are following him. And he discovers some mayhem. In Jerusalem, he comes to this temple. And he's seeing that the people are waiting for him. They have been wanting for him to teach them. And Jesus knew that those who would hear him teaching at the temple, that they would return home and share everything that they had learned throughout the world, announcing that the Messiah had come. And by people ex exclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, meaning save, savior, they demonstrated that they recognized that Jesus was fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah. The crowd correctly saw Jesus as the fulfillment of these promises, but they did not understand where Jesus' kingship would lead him. The following day, it tells us that he comes to the temple again, and he is astonished by what he sees. At once, he clears the temple from the schemes of the merchants and the money changers, and these individuals had frustrated people's attempts at worship. God's house had become a place of extortion and a barrier to the Gentiles who wanted to worship. This, of course, greatly angered Jesus. Really, it was righteous indignation. Have you ever been righteously indignant at something and you just feel you are convicted and you have to do something, you have to act because it's not right? Well, this is what Jesus was doing. He said to him, to them, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. 
Understandably, any practice that interferes with worshiping God should be stopped. And Jesus, in this case, not only overturns the tables, but he also overturns the worship system. Realize that people with infirmities were supposed to be coming to the temple, and they were not being allowed to enter. Only the pure and well were given access to the temple, and the poor were being overly oppressed because they could not afford to exchange money to pay their taxes or pay the inflated prices for the sacrificial animals. These merchants and money changers were getting rich and taking advantage of the poor. Jesus had to drive them out, and he did. He immediately begins to do his ministry there in the temple, what he came to do. He began to heal the lame, the blind, the sick, exactly what the Messiah should have been doing in the temple. And Jesus accepts the marginalized and the oppressed, and he does his work. The priests and scribes who had been observing are outrageous, outraged at what they see, especially when they hear the children singing and chanting and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus confronts their arrogance, greed, and self-righteousness. How dare they mock the, God of, the, the house of God? Jesus leaves them for the night and settles in Bethany. The following morning, he makes his way back to the city. And this is where he finds the fig tree. Matthew 21, verses 18 and on, tells us that he was walking by and finds this tree, and he was hungry. From its, its appearance, the tree seems to have fruit, but as Jesus gets closer, he realizes that there, it has nothing, no fruit whatsoever. You see, fig trees require three years from the time they are planted until they can bear fruit. And each tree yields fruit, a good amount of fruit, twice a year. And this occurs in the late spring and early autumn. So this incident occurred in the spring fig season. And the figs normally grow as the leaves fill out. But this tree, although it had leaves, it was full of the leaves, it had none. And the tree looked promising, but it offered nothing. So Jesus does what? anyone would do, right? He curses the tree. Have you ever cursed anything? The disciples marvel at this. Later on, as they come by the tree again, they ask, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? And Jesus patiently responds, as surely I say to you, if you have faith, and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. Whether things, whatever things you ask in prayer, believing it, you will receive it. Now the kind of prayer that moves mountains is a prayer for the fruitless of God's kingdom, 
fruitfulness of God's kingdom, rather. It would seem impossible to move a mountain into the sea. Have you ever seen such a thing? Unless some disaster were to happen, right? So Jesus used that picture to say that God can do anything, even what we would define as incomprehensible. God will answer your prayers, but it's not as a result of your positive mental attitude. There's other conditions that are involved here. You must be a believer, first of all. You must not hold a grudge against another person. You must not pray with selfish motives, and your request must be for the good of God's kingdom. To pray effectively, you need faith in God, not faith in the object that you're requesting. If you focus only on your request, you will be left with nothing if your request is refused. And Luke 11, when Jesus was teaching his disciples the prayer, he used these principles. He was our example. He says, all things are possible for you, yet not what I will, but what you will, Lord. Our prayers are often motivated by our own interests and desires. We like to hear that God can give us anything. But Jesus prayed with God's interests in mind. So if we're going to follow his example, when we pray, we should express our desires, but want his will above ours. Check yourself when you're praying, if your prayers focus on your interests or God's. And I'm here to tell you today that prayer is a gift. Some of you may have had a hard time with understanding this because perhaps you feel that when you pray, your prayers don't seem to go very far. Or perhaps you don't believe that God is even listening to you. And perhaps nothing is being accomplished. So what is the point of prayer? God doesn't care. God is not listening. So I want to testify to you today that God does show up. And when he shows up, he does it with grace at the right place, at the right time, for the right situation. And you know, I've, you know, many of you know that I have started my master's with a theological seminary at Andrews University. I began my classes in March, and I must admit that I wasn't too crazy about the idea at first. I wasn't too inspired. I might have seemed excited, but inside, I was scared to death. And uh, I just kept coming with the excuses. Oh, maybe a few more years when I get more experience. Or maybe when Kaya finishes school. Oh, maybe when Kaya gets married and she's out on her own. I finally ran out of excuses. And the conference said, you have to do this. So I went. <laughs> Little hesitant. I just said I was very scared. I didn't know what to expect, and oftentimes what holds us is the fear, right? That was me. I was scared. First of all, I'm not that young, so I felt, man, what am I going to be competing against, right? Here I am, thinking of competition. But it's not about that. I was literally very scared. <laughs> so I went to my first intensives, 
two-week intensives in March. And what I'm about to share with you has impacted me dramatically. He was already in the classroom, my professor, Dr. Kenley Hall. And when I came in, he was trying to hook up his computer to the projector. He was seated, and there were other students in the room helping him. We began the, the class with prayer. He prayed, and then he proceeded to tell us that we needed to share about ourselves, a little bit about our journey and why, where we were coming from and what was going on. So we all did that. There were some questions that he asked, and we answered those questions. And then he said, well, I feel I must speak about the elephant in the room. You see, he was in a wheelchair. He explained that his body had been attacked by some type of virus that compromised his nervous system. Now, he did tell us the name, but I cannot even pronounce it. So, leave it at that. This disease that attacked his body pretty much paralyzed him from the hip down. He could stand, although he was weak. He needed the assistance of leg braces and his walker. He needed the support. He could not walk very far without support, and he couldn't bend his feet. He could sit and get up, but that was not better, and he was shuffling. As he, he would, when he would walk, he would shuffle. There was no feeling in his feet, he further described, and he could not move his toes at all. They were paralyzed. He was enduring chronic pain, taking medication for that, he told us that at one point when this illness started to really fully realize, anybody touching him, would, he would experience excruciating pain. And he had gotten to the point that he had accepted it. He had accepted his condition and he had come to peace with God. This had been now a year and a half. His family was very supportive. He works at the theological seminary. They know and understand his condition, and they're very supportive of him. So throughout the week, he sat, and he would get up at times, and he spent most of the time seated while he was teaching us. During the week, we spoke about what we would do for him. As the class would get together, every group that gets together, this cohort, decides to do a gift for the teacher. And as we were talking about it, the idea surfaced that we should give him a, the prayer of, the gift of a prayer. And I thought, hmm, okay, that's all right. But somehow in my mind I felt that that wasn't enough, that somehow we should have done something more tangible. But we decided, okay, we'll, we'll do that. We're gonna pray. And there was one student that was asked to do that prayer, and she asked us to prepare ourselves during the week to be sure that we had everything right with God. So the last day of class was Thursday, and as we were trying to get everything settled, that day and the day before, we had had a preaching fest. This was a preaching class. And the teacher finally was going to dismiss us, and he prayed a prayer of blessing for us. And after he was done, Lisa, the lady that had been designated, our designee, went to him and said, Dr. Hall, we have decided that we want to give you a present, a gift, as a token of our appreciation. And we've decided that we want to give you 
the gift of prayer. And he said, wow, that, that's great. I could certainly, I appreciate that, that. He was certainly welcome of it. So we all surrounded him. We laid hands on him. We sang. And Lisa began to pray. We had asked her to do this prayer. And I will tell you, I have prayed my entire life. I have heard other people pray. I have heard many pastors pray. I have heard prayer warriors pray. I have never in my life heard anybody pray like Lisa prayed. She was praying for a prayer of healing, but one that I had never heard before. So we are surrounding him, we're praying, and as she is praying, she is rubbing her hands against his legs and his knees, going up and down, and down to his feet, up and down, and we're all praying with her. We're singing, we're praying, we're praising God and asking God to be with Dr. Hall. So we finish this prayer. We come together again a little later. We were asked to take a group picture. We go outside. I actually have the picture here. He's sitting right here in the center on the wheelchair. And I, if you want to see it later, you can. And uh, we finish the picture, and just about when we are saying our goodbyes, he says to us, I need to tell you something. And we all come together again and surrounding, he says, I am wiggling my toes. And we all like, he's wiggling his toes. He's wiggling his toes. And immediately Lisa went to him and got down on her knees and grabbed his legs and we all surrounded him again and we started praying a prayer of praise. I can tell you there was not a dry eye, okay? <laughs> We're here praying for this man and we are rejoicing, praising God. God showed up, all right? Lisa went down, she's praying, we say our goodbyes and Dr. Hall is taken to his hotel room. Now we hear other details after a few days and a few weeks. So this rest of the story that I'm sharing with you is details that have come together after the fact. And you must understand, he told us, the fact that he was moving his toes was a huge deal for him because for a year and a half he would lay on his bed, he would sit on a sofa with his leg propped up and nothing was moving. So for him, this was a big deal. You know, these are things we take for granted, but for him, it was a big deal. So we discovered the following day, he sends us an email. He had gone into his hotel room and he says, you know, if I'm moving my toes, I wonder what else is going on. So he removes his leg braces and he says he does that and he's feeling this tingling in his legs and he begins to walk in the hotel room, okay? And he says he is leaping for joy. <laughs> so, this is very emotional for me. I haven't been able to talk about it because God has been working in my heart. So Dr. Hall sends us a text on Friday Friday, this is Thursday, he goes back home, he travels back, he surprises his family. 
he sends us this text, start your Sabbath with this testimony of the power of God. I am home. I am walking under my own power without a walker or the leg braces. Praise God and thank you for your prayers. You certainly picked the best gift ever for me. What do you say to that? <laughs> wow. I was absolutely overwhelmed. I, I cannot even begin to explain that. The following week, we go to uh, the next class because these are two weeks of intensives. This is a different professor. Some of us are there together, the ones who experience this. There's other new ones that have come in. We join together and all of a sudden we are just, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? We're all talking about it. And this professor comes in and he says, what is going on with you guys? You are just super hyper, what, what, what's happening? And he says, you haven't heard about Dr. Hall? And this is Dr. Walsh. He says, no, what's going on? So we begin to tell him the story. And as soon as we tell him that, he says, excuse me for a moment, and he leaves the room and he goes next door to the chapel. We were at the Columbia Union Conference. There's a chapel next to the classroom. He calls Dr. Hall and he tells him, I hear this has happened, what's going on? And he says, Dr. Walsh, I am walking around campus as I'm speaking with you right now. I have been healed. Praise God. Please tell the students this, that I am praising God and I am rejoicing and our family thanks them and that God has been powerful in my life. So he comes back into the classroom and he says, oh my goodness, you do not realize that you guys have been part of something so much bigger, but it had to happen here in Maryland. And he says, you have to know the rest of the story. See, Dr. Walsh is the chair of the department where Dr. Hall works. And he said that this family, the working family of that department had come together because they wanted to help Dr. Hall. Dr. Hall always has to wait for someone to take him here and there because he cannot drive. He's always depending on one person. There are times that he would wait for hours and hours and hours for people to take him from one place to another. So they had decided that they would get money together to buy him, to buy a van that would be equipped with the, with the mechanism for him to be able to drive and use his hands. And they had gone and gotten this money together, and they went to an auction and purchased a van. But they decided to buy the van as it was and then have it outfitted. He also shared that as he was doing this, um, he was taking a trip to Australia. And before he left, he went to the dealer that was doing this work and was trying to figure out what was happening because he had not been done. And this had taken quite a process, a long time. And they told him, Dr. Walsh, we don't know. This is so difficult. We are having a hard time finding the parts. We are having a hard time getting this done. And he says, well, I'm going out of the country, and when I come back, I'm hoping that you have done something about this. So as he's telling us the story, we're like, uh-huh. We know where this is going. And he says he gets back from Australia. He flies in two days, a couple days before coming to be with us in Maryland. He comes to Maryland. He hears the story. Before he gets to us, he happens to visit the dealership to see what's going on. And they told him, 
Dr. Walsh, we are so sorry. This usually doesn't happen, but we are having a very hard time getting all the parts that we need to get this done. So he says, see, you don't understand. God knew that this was going to happen. We didn't, but God knew. God knew that when Dr. Hall would come to Maryland, he was going to be doing this. And this is why all this whole process was giving, giving us problems. And he tells us that he was so frustrated. He came to Maryland feeling frustrated because nothing had been done with the van. So here he is telling us the story. We all come together again. We go to this chapel. We, we're praying. We pray this, this prayer of thanksgiving again for this miracle. Recently, uh, Dr. Hall was invited by the Hope Channel to come and do an interview. And they interviewed and he shared his story. And some of us had the privilege, since he was here, to go and see him after the show. We actually surprised him. And we were able to be there with him at the end of the show and celebrate with him. And again, we came together and prayed. And he prayed for us. So, you know, sometimes we think that we have plans. But God has other plans. God, God used us and used the mechanism of being here to heal Dr. Hall, to heal not only him, but to heal us. Another thing that we found out and we discovered was that this lady who prayed, Lisa, she's a lay pastor at one of our churches here in our conference, and she wasn't even sure that she was going to go to the class. She decided to go, and when she walked in and she saw Dr. Hall in the wheelchair, she, she says that she felt God telling her, this is the reason you're here. This is the reason you're here. So she, during the week, started to pray, and she fasted. For four days, she fasted. Now, I can tell you something. I have fasted, but never that long. And I can tell you, after two meals, I'm an ogre. I'm hungry. I'm not a very nice person. So I don't know how she did this. I, I, all I can say is that God was with this lady. So she shares this, that she had come, and she was asked to be part of this interview. She knew exactly what she was supposed to do. She came to the class. She did the work, but her focus was praying for Dr. Hall. So we all got together again and did this. Dr. Hall was not the only one that was healed that day. This was a powerful, powerful testimony of the power of God. And God showed up in a real mighty evident way. I can say that he healed me. He healed my doubt. And my faith was strengthened. And God confirmed for me that I'm doing the right thing by going to school now, <laughs> however scary it may be. So I should not underestimate the gift of prayer. This has given me a new perspective. I am working harder than ever, so please pray for me. <laughs> God wants to show up in a real powerful way in our lives, and this testimony is proof of that. He wants to give us joy and peace. We will be afflicted in this world, no doubt. 
but we can still experience joy and peace. And you're going to ask how? God can do this, but you have to believe it. The enemy will do anything to take God's spirit away from us. He wants to steal our joy and peace. And he will try very hard to distract us, to make us give up on God. And he knows that by afflicting us, we, with the physical things, with the material things, with the relational things, we can lose hope, joy, and peace. So we have to hold on to what Jesus taught us and apply it, to believe and have faith. So why did Jesus curse this victory? This was not a thoughtless act, but an acted out parable. Jesus was making a point here of religion without substance. And just as the victory looked good from a distance was, that was fruitless on close examination, so was the temple that looked impressive at first glance. But his sacrifices and other activities were hollow because they were not done to worship God sincerely. So if you only appear to have faith with him without putting the work in your life, you are like the fight victory. I am like the victory that withered and died because it bore no fruit. Genuine faith means bearing fruit for God's kingdom. And many have wondered here about Jesus' statement. If we have faith and don't doubt, we can move mountains. Jesus, of course, was not suggesting that his followers use prayer as a magic act or perform impulsive moving mountain acts. Instead, he was making a strong point to his disciples and to us to, to be strong in faith. Jesus is speaking figuratively, mountains of difficulty. What kinds of mountains do you face? Perhaps a mountain of reconciling a relationship, or the mountain of healing from an illness, or the mountain of starting something new and challenging even though you're scared to death. Have you talked to God about those mountains? Have, are you strong in your faith? This incident, I studied here in the Bible, is not a guarantee that we can get anything we, we want simply by asking and believing. God does not grant requests that hurt us or that hurt others or that we violate his own nature or will. Jesus' statement is not a blank check to be fulfilled. Our request must be in harmony with the principles of God's kingdom. And the stronger our belief in God is, the more likely our prayers will be in line with God's will. So God gives us this incredible gift, the gift of prayer, and asks us to ask him about anything. He's given it to us because he wants to bring joy and peace and hope in our lives. He loves us like crazy, and he wants to give us that like nothing else that the world can give or take away. When we realize the grace of God, then we understand that God can do anything. So what will you do with this gift, this gift of prayer? I challenge you today to align yourself to God's will, not yours to truly believe with the appropriate attitude, to withhold grudges and forgive,
and realize the amazing things that God can do when he shows up. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how foolish we can be when we don't believe and trust you. You love us so much and you want to give us anything that is according with your plan. Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds to listen to your voice, to listen to your, to your calling, to do as you say. Because ultimately, Father, we want to follow you and be prepared for when you come. And as we share that, this with others, may others genuinely see it as well. In your name I pray. Amen.